An elite New York City school that tells children they can't be hugged without consent is now under heavy fire from outraged parents over lessons reportedly teaching young kids sexual gratification by touching themselves. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with you people? Hi, you're listening to Right From Karen. My name's Karen. This podcast is about a little bit of everything. My life, my writing, book reviews, politics, and religion. Grab a cup of coffee and get comfortable. I have a lot to say about nothing. Hi, this is Karen. Welcome back to another podcast. Uh, Episode 27. Today is May 30th, 2021. It's about 3.30 in the afternoon. It's a beautiful Sunday. Again, this is one of the few days this week the sun has actually come out, but it's cool. Um, I think it was only like mid 60s today, which is really weird considering that June is literally two days away. Um, But not unusual. So don't go crying climate change on me. Weather is cyclical. We've had cool weather this time of year before and we will have it again. Anyway, so that opening sentence is from an article from WND.com says it's called parents at posh school horrified over lessons teaching young children to touch themselves. According to the New York Post health and wellness educator Justine Fonte at the Dalton School uses cartoons as a tool in her sex ed classes for six year olds featuring small children talking about touching themselves for pleasure. My gosh, just saying that sentence out loud makes me feel like I need to go take a shower. That is disgusting. Um, oh, I don't even know if I want to read this, but I apologize in advance. If you have any young children around, you might want to make sure they're not hearing this part. This is part of the article, by the way. This is not me. Hey, how come sometimes my penis gets big sometimes and points in the air? A young boy asks in the cartoon, followed by an explanation about what an erection is. Sometimes I touch my penis because it feels good, the boys say while nodding. A small girl then notes, sometimes when I'm in my bath or when mom puts me to bed, I like to touch my vulva too. Fonte claims she never uses the word masturbation in class, adding her lessons teach children not to touch themselves in public. Parents express their outrage to the post, especially when the school instructs consents for family hugs. So the school, you can't hug your own child, apparently, without some kind of documentation from the school to say it's okay. But hey, it sure is okay to teach these first graders these children about their sexual organs. I, I am, I am outraged on behalf of these parents. I cannot imagine what my reaction would be if this were happening to us right now with our kids being that little in school. They're not, they're in their mid twenties, but they're long past this school, these school days. Thank God. Because honestly, if this was happening right now, I think we would very seriously look into into homeschooling. <clears throat> and before you all think I'm a big prude or anything about this whole sex organ thing with kids, I am not at all. I think it's very important to talk to your children about sex, um, about their about what's appropriate, what is not, um, but at an appropriate age. 
first grade is not an appropriate age at all. Um, They are still trying to figure out how to be humans, let alone what to do with themselves. Um, They are not in any position to say they are the opposite sex. They are not in any position to make any kind of rational decisions on their behalf. And they won't be for quite a few years. And I think it's child abuse to do something this abhorrent to children in school. I cannot even imagine what these parents must be going through. Um, And this teacher is getting a lot of backlash and as she should. But there was something that she was kind of, uh, I think she's been doing this for like 11 years. I seem like I saw something that said, Something to that effect that she's been teaching this agenda to kids for close to 11 years. And I guess my big question is, why so long? Why is it just now coming to to light? And it also begs the question, what else are these wackos teaching your children? So other than the critical race theory, of course. um, But it's... Again, there's a time and place for everything. And I'm not saying that children do not need to be taught about sex. Um, They should obviously be taught about it. You should talk about it as a family. It should not be a taboo subject because kids will be kids. And the more you make it taboo, the more they're going to want to explore it and, and want to know about it. So it's better that that information comes from you as opposed to some wacko teacher trying to teach it to your six-year-old. Um, it just, ew, it just makes me feel dirty to even talk about this, that at this young age, I don't, um, well, I do understand. I know exactly what they're doing. I, I can't pretend that I don't know what they're doing. Of course I do. They're trying to indoctrinate these children from a very early age to grow up thinking that a certain way um, of thinking is acceptable. And anything outside that, that lesson that they've been taught is, you know, that they won't even be willing to entertain the thought of something different, that perhaps what they were taught is wrong, because it's coming from a teacher, right? Teachers are to be trusted. That's how children see their teachers. And in fact, Sometimes they're even more influential than mom and dad, because you know how it is when you're a kid, you think your parents are stupid, they know nothing. But if the very same thing is being said from a teacher or some other authority adult figure in their life, suddenly, it's gospel truth. So teachers play a very important role in children's development, and they know it. And that's why they're trying to push all these whacked out agendas on these kids. And we've got to put our foot down and say, no, this is ridiculous. You cannot do this. Okay, leave that stuff to parents, leave that stuff to later in life when they have sex ed or, you know, whatever. But six years old, how about we try to teach them to tie their shoes? You know, let's let's go back to basics. How about we teach them how to wipe their ass? You know, Um, And that kind of thing first, before we get into the more complex issues of sex organs and what to do with them. It's so disgusting and so disturbing to me that this is what's happening in our schools right now. And I hope those parents just cause holy hell 
about this because that is just sick and, and gross. And then turning our attention back to the other side of the country, another blue state, um, five Oregon counties vote to succeed from liberal Oregon in favor of Idaho. There's been talk about Texas wanting to succeed from the rest of the United States, but now the itch to leave liberal policies is inching up north. Five rural Oregon counties voted to succeed from the state of Oregon and join the more politically conservative state of Idaho. The move has been in the works since the move Oregon's border. A political action committee was formed in 2019. Breitbart reports the committee focuses on Oregon ballot initiatives and in March move Oregon's border founder, Michael McCarter, announced the establishment of a 501c4 Citizens for Greater Idaho, which will focus on Idaho, Oregon, and beyond to support the vision of Move Oregon's Borders. Um, can't say that I blame them. They have gotten, their liberal policies have just, they're, it's just strangling them, not to mention the continued violence in Portland, Oregon, um, because of the whole BLM movement and the uh, authorities' reluctance to do anything about that movement. They keep destroying Portland and burning down buildings and rioting and looting, and uh, no one seems to be doing anything about it. And so I can't, I can't blame people that live in Oregon wanting to get away from that madness. The same in Washington. It's the same, same kind of situation over there where people that have half a brain and want nothing to do with all this liberalness woke crowd. Uh, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, moving's expensive. You're, you know, you just, it's not just something you can do overnight. And so I bet it's incredibly frustrated to be surrounded by all of this madness. Uh, so I don't blame them at all. And wouldn't that be something if that actually happens, man, I don't know. I feel like that would have to take an act of Congress really uh, for that to ever happen. I mean, I'm sure ultimately, if it came down to it, obviously, they would have to get involved and do that and reroute border lines. But boy, I just don't see that happening. I really don't. I think it would be cool if it did. But realistically, I don't think how I, don't, I just don't know how they could possibly pull that off. But I can't say that I blame them for trying. Um, another thing about Oregon that caught my eye Another reason why I think people want to move out of Oregon, which again, I don't blame them. Um, <clears throat> Oregon school to mandate BLM pride flags in every class. A local school board in Oregon will attempt to mandate that every classroom have both a BLM flag or poster and a progressive pride flag or poster to accompany the U.S. flag. So to go to this school, the students must support the violent communist Soros funded BLM and they must be far left. Uh, on May 6th, the Gresham Barlow School Board in Gresham, Oregon, updated the district's flags, displays and salutes policy to reflect the progressive values of the board. The proposal would require the school bo board to provide an American flag, pride flag and BLM flag for each classroom. So once again, the indoctrination is pretty heavy in Oregon. Um, again, I'm not opposed to talking about these issues with the children. Um, not that young. I don't think it's appropriate for elementary school children to be taught anything about BLM or 
gay gay rights and and all that kind of stuff. I think that should be topics saved later for when they're a little bit older, a little bit more mature to understand the complexities of these subjects. But you know, again, um, the earlier the earlier you start, the more indoctrin- indoctrinated they will become, and uh, you know, then you've got little foot soldiers to carry out your agendas when they get into be college, which is exactly the problem that we're running into right now with all the crap that's going on on college campuses. These kids have been indoctrinated to think a certain way from such a young age. And now that they're in college, <clears throat> this is what's happening. They're just completely changing the landscape and they're introducing a bunch of madness and woke culture and cancel culture and all the crap that's going on in our country right now. Um, again, just to be clear, I am not opposed to talking about any of these subjects, but we need to talk about them. We don't need to bring children up to believe it is the way and the only way to believe. Um, if you're going to teach this kind of thing, then you need to also teach the opposite viewpoint as well. Because again, it's important for people to be taught to critically think and, and, assess all sides of an issue before making an opinion or forming a conclusion to whatever issue that you're trying to push. So same with evolution. If you're going to teach that, then create, then uh, teach the creatism uh, side of the, the, the issue. Teach both sides of the issue. <clears throat> you uh, must keep out your own biases you just you are you're just teaching both sides of the issues so that the the kids, the children, the people can make their own conclusions. But to teach one side and one side only and demonize the other side and make it sound like even if you consider where the other side's coming from, then you know that's wrong. Um, the other side's crazy. Um, they're they're you know whatever whatever verbiage they're trying to use today to demonize the other side of an issue and not just the right side of the issue any side of the issue and this is this applies to all topics in my opinion anytime you're teaching anything up to anybody or you're talking to about anything to anybody you need to you need to um, present both sides of the story Look at all sides. There's all, you know, there's always two sides to a story, sometimes more. Look at all these sides and form your own opinions based on the evidence, based on the topic or whatever you want to say. But that's what I think, well, I know this is the, the biggest problem people have with what is happening today in today's schools is that there's only, there's one way and only this way. Nothing else is being taught. Nothing else is even being presented. Nothing else is even being allowed to be talked about. That is what people, that's the kind of thing that people have a problem with. And I just thank God that I don't have any young people in our school system right now, any children, grandchildren, because the craziness that is oozing out of the the pores of this infectious system is just mind boggling. I mean, wow, just wow. I really do feel sorry for everyone that has little kids in school right now, or even college aged kids. I mean, just any, any educational institution at this point in time is suspect.
Here's another interesting and alarming piece of information. A farmer sues after being ordered not to work his farm. A South Dakota farmer is suing the federal government after its agricultural department ordered him not to farm his farm. It seems the Washington bureaucrats have determined that a mud puddle in one of his fields is a protected wetlands. Let me read that sentence again. It seems the Washington bureaucrats have determined that a mud puddle in one of his fields is a protected wetlands. The fight is being taken up by Pacific Legal Foundation. Arlen Foster's action is against the federal government. Um, He's a third generation farm working land on the plains of South Dakota, but in 2011, a division of the Department of Agricultural ruled that a small seasonal mud puddle on his farm really isn't a mud puddle, but a wetlands. That's even though the government has no authority to regulate such puddles, the legal team said. Oh my gosh, that just sounds insane to say that. They're regulating puddles now? The government lacks the authority to insist that he leave the mud puddle muddy, so it's threatening to take away Foster's ability to participate in federal programs to achieve the outcome that it wants. But Foster has a right to use his property, and coercing him in this way violates his right. Um, can you imagine? Can you imagine having a farm? It's been in your, your family for generations. This is what you've been brought up to do is to farm the land, which is a very honorable um, position, a very honorable occupation. That's the word I was looking for, to to work the land with your own hands, grow food, um, raise cattle, whatever you're doing with your land so that it feeds the country. This is a very honorable occupation. And yet, You're not allowed to do what you need to do on your own land, by the way, because you have a puddle on your land that the government has deemed wetlands. Therefore, it's protected. You can't make this shit up. You really can't. This is just some wild crap. Unbelievable. I mean, I already have a problem with paying property taxes. Uh, You have to pay taxes on land that you've bought and you live on, but... Again, paying some taxes is okay because you want to, you want roads, you want police, you want firefighters, you want all the things that the taxes, the, you know, that go toward to pay for. I totally get that. And I'm in support of that. Of course, you know, where it gets crazy is when you've got programs, you know, thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in some cases going to programs um, to see about, you know, lizards walking on treadmills. Oh, you think I'm making that up? I am not making that up, people. There's a video that I'll link in the show notes of Rand Paul, who, by the way, I freaking love that man. He is so he is so great. He is not afraid to call people out on their bullshit. Um, he presents several examples of epic, of epic proportions of government waste that uh, they're trying to push through on this latest, I think, six billion or trillion dollar government spending that's supposedly going toward infrastructure. But when you break it down, there's a lot of crazy programs. And one of them that caught my eye is lizards on a treadmill. Walked lizards on a treadmill to try and figure out how their joints move. They're being x-rayed while they walk on a treadmill to see how their joints move. 
$1,500,000 is going toward this study. This is just one small example of the epic, crazy government waste that that our officials are pushing through with uh, under the guise of, oh, but it's for infrastructure, because they're counting on the fact that no one's going to actually read the damn thing and figure out that all of these programs are trying to push through are complete and utter waste of time and money. When all that money could be better used toward our vets, toward our homeless, toward our, our hungry. There's so many programs that we could, we could channel this money toward to help various groups around the country. But no, 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 no. We must give someone who has graduated from college with some kind of useless degree something to do so that he or she can justify going to college and spending all of this money on a useless degree. So we're going to come up with, with studies like lizards on a treadmill and we're going to spend millions of dollars on it because, you know, we got to give, we got to give these people something to do, right? I, I mean, it's just, it gets my blood boiling. This is the kind of stuff that I have a problem with. This is the kind of waste that our tax dollars go to. And this is why every time they're wanting to raise our taxes, this is why I say no, automatically no. I don't care what the reason is. Balance your damn budget. Trim off the fat. I think lizards on a treadmill would qualify as pork, wouldn't you? Oh, I'll link that video, folks, so you can watch it. It is unbelievable, some of the crap they're trying to push through. And they do it. Inevitably, it'll probably be passed because people are too weak to stand up and say, this is stupid, other than Rand Paul, which that's why I love the man, because he has the balls to stand up there and say, this is insane. Inflation is starting to rear its ugly head. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the price prices of pretty much everything has gone up. Case in point, um, Kevin and I went to get some ice cream at a local ice cream place. It's delicious ice cream, by the way. One of our favorites. We love going, but it's getting right up there with the price of coffee at Starbucks. It's just, it's, it's just, you can't justify <laughs> spending this much money on freaking ice cream, okay? Uh, no matter how good it is, but we, we haven't gone in a while because it is so expensive and it's hard to justify, you know, sticking a $10 bill in your mouth because that's what you're in essence doing with your ice cream. So we went to our favorite ice cream place last night after dinner because it's been our anniversary this week. Uh, we've been married for 31 years. Thank you very much. Not very many people can say that. So yes, I am proud of that fact. We have been married for 31 years. Poor man. Can you imagine putting up with me for that long? Uh, don't answer that. I know what you're thinking. Anyway, <laughs> um, so we went to this ice cream place after dinner and we ordered our favorite ice cream. And of course, you know, the cups have gotten smaller. You don't, the the, the quantity of product that you get nowadays is is diminished. It's not, It's less than what you would have, you know, gotten five years ago. And the price has gone up. So for two ice creams. And I bought a turtle, which is like an ice cream sundae. And Kevin bought a butter pecan 
concrete, which, oh my gosh, it's so good. If you like pecans, mm, chef's kiss, so good. Um, but those two things were, was $13. Okay. Um, pretty sure those two things about a month ago was $10. So everything's going up. I'm sure you've probably noticed too, when you're going to the grocery store, when you're getting gas, prices are going up because, you know, Biden's administration is pushing all of these crazy programs through these spending programs, you know, for lizards on treadmills. And, uh, you know, somebody's got to pay the bill for that. The money doesn't just drop out of the sky. Um, you can only print money for so long before the consequences catch up. Look it up. It's called economics. And uh, here we are. Inflation is starting. So just FYI, um, you know, just spend your money wisely because who knows how how far the dollar is going to go in the next few years. Um, economic confidence tanks under Biden, which, duh, um, despite being handed the perfect conditions for an economic boom, Biden doesn't have the faith of the American people to get our economy booming again, according to a new Gallup poll, which side note, these Gallup polls always make me suspects like who are you who are you polling? I'm sure it's not a fair um, representation of the left and the right. But that's neither here nor there. So take it with a grain of salt. According to the poll released on Monday, 27% of Americans now rate current economic conditions as excellent or good, while 30% rate them as poor. Meanwhile, 43% say the economy is getting better. <sighs> wow, what planet are you from? And 53% say it's getting worse. Oh, it's getting worse. I mean, all you have to do again is look at the prices. It's a good indication, a good barometer of where our economy stands is by the prices that you see. <clears throat> uh, sadly, under Biden, the economy has become more of a concern to Americans. The greater concern about the economy is also apparent in the increased percentage of Americans mentioning an economic issue when asked to name the most important problem facing the U.S., explains Gallup. Currently, 21% cite an economic issue, such as the economy in general, unemployment, or the federal budget deficit, up from 14% in April, and the highest since April 2017. Gallup did find that economic concern appears to be replacing COVID as the more pressing issue. Yes, of course it would, because now that COVID is over, because let's be honest, it is... Uh, now people are looking forward and trying to get their lives back on track. And now that the unemployment benefits are ending in several states around the country, people will no longer be able to afford to stay home and do nothing. Uh, they have to get out and get a job, which I'm sure the businesses are thrilled about because they're begging people to come work for them because they're so shorthanded that they can't stay open. In fact, when Kevin and I went out to dinner the other night to a, rest, a Mexican restaurant, we didn't really have an anniversary day. We had an anniversary weekend. We went to dinner a couple of times this weekend. Um, there was a sign on the door that said that they were closed on Mondays due to lack of staff. And we're seeing all kinds of signs like that all over the city uh, from businesses that just simply don't have the staff to stay open. So it's good news that the unemployment benefits are going away and people are going to be forced to get back out and get a job because we cannot afford to pay people to stay home and do nothing. And I don't care how you sugarcoat the unemployment benefits. They should never have been started to begin with. 
the lockdown should never have started, had never should never have happened, so that they wouldn't be put in that position to begin with. But now that COVID is over and things are getting back to normal, people need to get back out and be responsible and live and work their lives. So, um, so yes, of course, there is uh, concerns for the economy because all this money that's been handed out for months and months, now it's time to pay the piper, literally pay the piper. The money has to come from somewhere. Someone has to pay the bill. And that is going to be the taxpayers. Um, so the economy is a huge concern for people because, I mean, I don't know if you've had any dealings at all with the housing market, but holy crap, you talk about crazy houses go on the market and they're sold hours later for way more than they're worth. So now you have people buying houses already upside down, they they're, they owe more than the house is actually worth when the market comes back down and starts settling down. So now they're going to be upside down already with a house. Uh, if you if you're thinking about building a house right now, this is not the time to build a house because supplies are astronomically expensive because of manufacturing delays, delivery delays, uh, raw material delays. I mean, there's just all kinds of problems because, you know, now we're trying to start back up from basically coming to a screeching halt this past year. Uh, so yeah, the economy is a big issue. And um, so it's, it's just, it's an opportunity for people to not only go back to work and get their lives under control, but also to examine your financial situation and be uh, frugal with your money at this point in time, because you just don't know how bad this inflation wave is going to get. Because it is coming, folks. It cannot not come. Inflation is inevitable because of all the spending that Biden has done. And you can try to sugarcoat it. You can try to bury your head in the sand all you want. It doesn't change the facts. And the fact is, you can't spend all of this money and not have some repercussions, whether that is a diminished value of the dollar, or prices go up, and or both, which is probably what's realistically going to happen. Um, more states offering return to work bonuses as businesses struggle to hire workers. A growing number of states are offering a one-time cash bonus to Americans who return to the workforce, part of a broader initiative designed to help businesses that are struggling to hire new employees. At least four Republican-led states, Arizona, Montana, New Hampshire, and Oklahoma, will give workers up to $2,000 when they accept a new job. The initiative is in lieu of the federal unemployment program that provided out-of-work Americans with an extra $300 a week on top of their regular state benefits. Uh, so you know you're in you're bad shape when employers are offering you a huge bonus just to come work for them, um, which can be actually a good thing for a group of people, myself included, as it looks like I there's a very real possibility of me having to find a new job if they mandate the COVID vaccine at the hospital that I work at. So if I'm going to be looking for a new job, honestly, this might be a good time to do it, um, especially if they're offering an incentive to come work for them. So um, I'm keeping my options open. That's all I'm going to say at this point in time. But um, I am 
I am approaching this new challenge with my eyes wide open. And if any time would be a good time to change jobs, it sounds like now would be the good time to do it. So um, we'll see what happens. But that brings us, of course, to the whole subject of COVID. I'll try to keep this short because I know you all are so sick to death of this subject. But a couple of things of note. Um, let's see here. Study finds masks didn't slow spread of COVID. I think we all kind of knew that, but nobody ever wanted to admit it. Um, the first ecological study of state mask mandates and their use to include data from the winter case spike has found that widespread mask wearing likely didn't slow the spread of COVID-19. The study conducted by the University of Louisville using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention found that 80% of U.S. states mandated masks during the COVID-19 pandemic. But while mandates induced greater mask compliance, they did not predict lower growth rates when community spread was low or high. Uh, the study also found that mask mandates and use are not associated with lower SARS COVID-2 spread among U.S. states. Um, our findings do not support the hypothesis that SARS COVID-2 transmission rates decrease with greater public mask use, the study said. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's basically giving us proof of what we've all known for some time that masks were not that effective and they were only used as a political tool to control people and make people fearful. And um, well done. Well done. I have to say they definitely accomplished that. Uh, two things about the COVID things before we move on to the book review of the week. Pretty shocking stuff. Wait, brace yourself. I hope you're sitting down. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> um the first one is an article, Hat Shop Blasted for Selling Nazi-Like Yellow Stars as Not-Vaccinated Patches. This is from the New York Post. A Tennessee hat shop has come under fire for selling not-vaccinated stick-on patches modeled after the yellow stars Jews were forced to wear in Nazi-occupied Europe. Patches are here, crowed the Instagram account of Hatworks in Nashville below a picture of an unidentified woman sporting the tasteless patch. The post, which was later deleted, went on to know that the badges were $5 a piece and featured a strong adhesive back. The store also promised caps, trucker caps, soon. The advertisement was met with outrage on Twitter with users calling for the store to be boycotted. I could not believe this could be real, CNN analyst Anna Navarro reacted. I like to think such stupidity, insensitivity, and ignorance in America cannot be commonplace. It's real. I never thought I would admit this, but I do agree with this CNN analyst. (laughs) She is correct. It was stupid and sensitive and terribly ignorant to try to sell yellow stars with non-vaccinated printed on them to people. I mean, eerily similar to what the Jews had to endure during the Nazi era. I mean, it's just, it was, it's disgusting and disturbing on so many levels. And I just have to wonder if this woman even knew what she was doing. If not, she's incredibly stupid um, because of all the things that you could put on a patch with non-vaccinated on it. 
you have to pick the yellow star that signifies what the Jews went through. Really? Uh, Not to mention, that's just another tool that the left is trying to do to further segregate and separate and divide people into groups. Uh, So, you know, it's, again, it's just disgusting. The whole thing is just disgusting. So there's that, um, which, you know, again, anything to, to identify you as different or in a, 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 some kind of um, ostracized class of people is uh, basically the mark of the beast. Let's just call it what it is. And that's exactly what people are trying to do. And we have to put our foot down and say, no, we're not going to do that. That's wrong. Something else that Kevin pointed out to me that literally made my mouth drop. I could not believe it. And I have no idea if this is real. This could be a complete hoax. Take it for what it is, folks. Take it with a grain of salt. This could be another one of those viral TikTok stupid um, acts, kind of like the Tide Pods that came out. Uh, So just take it with a grain of salt. But let's see. Let me see where it is on his list. Um, Magnets are sticking to where people got COVID vaccines injected. Tons of people have been posting videos of magnets sticking to their arms in the same location they got the COVID vaccine. Of course, this has made the conspiracy theorists further believe that we got microchipped during the vaccination process. According to doctors, there is no evidence to suggest such technologies are contained in the vaccines. Experts say a magnetic reaction as a vaccine side effect is completely unfounded meaning all these videos are probably just people trolling on the internet or trying to convince you the conspiracy theories are true. And there's a video that's attached, again, it'll be in the show notes, of people, you know, having, you know, they they have these little like fridge magnets and uh, they're showing how it's sticking to the injection site. And um, I don't know. I don't know. Because I'm against vaccines, I want to believe this is true. And then I'm kind of disturbed to think that it could be true because if it's not a microchip, it's something in that substance that's making this magnet stick. I'm not a scientist. I have no idea what that might be. And this could be a complete hoax. But when you watch the video, it's like, it does make you go, hmm. And then I kind of wonder if people after watching this video who have been vaccinated are not like, crap, what have I just done? So I don't know. Again, take it with a grain of salt. It could be complete bogus, you know, just someone trying to rile people up and get them all worked up and afraid. And you know, again, that fear factor, get people fearful. Um, This case against the experimental injectable, but you know, watch it, make up your own mind. I'm just saying that it's just something to make you go, hmm, So there's that. All right, let's switch gears and let's move on to the book review of the week.
Long Winter Number 2 by A.G. Riddle. Here's the blurb. We thought the war was over. We were wrong. They decimated Earth during the long winter. Now the grid has returned and they won't stop until the human race is extinct. On a ruined world, humanity's last survivors fight against impossible odds. In their darkest hour, they discover a new hope for survival. But it comes at an unthinkable price with consequences that will change everything. Okay, this is the epilogue and a little bit of the first chapter from The Solar War, The Long Winter Number 2 by A.G. Riddle. This is the prologue. Deep in space, billions of miles from Earth, an ancient machine awoke. First, it checked its systems. All were normal. Then it found the source of its awakening, a message. Inside the data packet was a simple command. It was a task the machine had completed thousands of times, the annihilation of a primitive civilization. The machine ran several simulations, quickly settling on the optimal way to eliminate the target. The question wasn't whether it could wipe out the primitives. It was how to do so with the least amount of energy expenditure. Energy was the most precious resource in the universe. The grid needed the energy from the star in the primitive's solar system. It would have it soon. The machine powered its engines and began moving toward the planet, which the local inhabitants called Earth. Chapter 1, this is from James's perspective. The doctor's gloves are covered in blood. The floor is covered in blood. Emma is squeezing my hand so hard I'm not sure I'll leave this room with it. She cries out and I shudder as if a cold wind were blowing across me. Can't you give her something? I ask the doctor still wincing. It's too late to her, he says. One last push, Emma. She grits her teeth and strains again. That's it, he coaxes, his hand held out. Why didn't she take the epidural? If offered, I would take an epidural at this point. I'm a medical doctor. I never completed my residency or practiced medicine because I knew robotics and AI were my true calling. With that said, one thing is certain. I'm not tough enough to have been an obstetrician. Moments like this take nerves of steel. Emma strains again and a cry bellows into the room, loud and clear, the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. The doctor holds the baby up for Emma to see. Her eyes fill with tears, her chest heaves, and she sinks back to the bed, exhausted. As long as I've known her, I've never seen her so happy. I've never been so happy. Congratulations, the doctor says, you have a baby girl. He hands our child to a waiting team who runs a series of tests. I lean over and hug Emma and kiss her on the cheek. I love you. I love you too, she whispers. A nurse lays the child on Emma's chest and my wife cradles her close. I can see the relief in Emma's face. She has been terrified that the child would have birth defects from the radiation Emma was exposed to while in space. Initially, I was concerned as well, but the doctors assured us that the child was fine for several reasons. First, the newer vessels created by NASA are much better shielded against radiation than those created in decades past. Secondly, our daughter was conceived several months after we returned from the Battle of Ceres. Both Emma and I, like all of the returning crew, went through biocontamination uh, when we landed. The process included treatments to improve our bone density and radiation cleansing therapy. When we learned Emma was pregnant, Izumi and the other doctors ran every test under the sun and showed us the results. But still, Emma worried. 
Like most first-time parents, we both did. Now it seems they were right. Our daughter is healthy and so beautiful. We've decided to name her after Emma's mother, Allison. Welcome to the world, Allie, Emma whispers. A scream echoes in the night. The baby monitor on Emma's bedside table practically vibrates as it blasts the sound into our bedroom. She rolls over and studies the blue-green night vision image. Allie lays on her back in the middle of the crib, swaddled tightly. Her face is contorted, mouth open, crying nonstop. It blows my mind that a child so small can make a sound so large. I've got it, I mumble, as I sit up and throw my legs over the side of the bed. She grabs my arm. No, you have to work early. True, but I've still got this. I kiss her on the forehead and pull the covers back up to her chin. She needs to rest. The last month has been exhausting for both of us, and she has borne the brunt of it. It's my turn to pick up some slack. I stumble into the nursery and hoist Allie out of the crib. I hold her tight to my chest and gently rock her as I walk around. Emma is better at this. She has a sing-song voice, and she knows exactly what to say. My rendition is like an awkward marionette trying to soothe the child saying, it's okay, it's all right. I don't even attempt a song. Oscar appears at the doorway and whispers, sir, can I help? Oscar has a variety of skills. This is not one of them. I'm not judging. It's just not one of my skills either. No, it's okay. I settle into the rocking chair and sway silently, Allie's blue eyes staring up at me innocently, maybe a hint of curiosity there. I place my index finger and her small palm and wait. A second later, her tiny fingers wrap around my finger, holding it. I smile and stare in wonder at how little and fragile she is, how innocent she is, and how ruthless and deadly the world out there waiting for her is. Before Allie was born, I had a laundry list of worries. Now I have one, her. I imagine every parent worries about the world that awaits their child, but the world we have brought Allie into is in crisis, torn between our everyday struggles and preparing for a war we know is coming. Billions died during Ice Age, known as the Long Winter. Only 9 million of us survived. When the ice spread across the earth, the survivors flocked to the world's last habitable regions, setting up sprawling refugee camps. The long winter has broken, but we're still here in the camps, though there's a growing movement to return to our homelands and start over. Behind everyday life in the camps looms a threat rarely spoken about but never forgotten. The grid. Some say the alien entity that brought the long winter is gone for good, but I can't take that risk. If the grid returns, it will be to finish us, to wage a war to end all wars. I'm going to be ready for that war because it's my job and because I'm a father now. It's still dark out when Allie finally surrenders to sleep again. I should go back to bed, but I'm too wound up. Being out of work for a month has been tough for me. In my small office nook in our habitat, I scan my email messages and open the news feed. In a video thumbnail, a reporter stands before an expanse of frozen landscape. Two years ago, I would have assumed she was in Antarctica. Now you can't tell. This is what half the world still looks like. Text at the bottom of the screen reveals the location. Washington, D.C. Behind the reporter, a dozen U.S. Navy helicopters and throngs of troops are congregated around a giant excavator. I play click on the video and the machine begins digging into the snow, carefully uncovering something. 
The reporter's voice rings out in my tiny office and I rush to turn the volume down. Behind me, American military forces are taking the first step in reopening the American homeland. The camera zooms in, revealing the object beneath the snow, the dome of the U.S. Capitol building. The scene expands to include the reporter once again. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going home. Another video catches my eye, one I don't want to watch and can't help but watch. The opening sequence is a wall of snow slowly melting to reveal the show's logo, Melting Point with Craig Collins. Melting Point is one of the most popular news programs on Atlantic Net, one of only a handful that are syndicated around the world thanks to recently launched satellites. My guest this hour is acclaimed robotics expert, Dr. Richard Chandler. He's here to talk about his new book, Saving Earth, the real story behind NASA's desperate mission to end the long winter. The, change, cha- the screen changes to a view of the book cover and then fades back to Craig and Chandler sitting around a small table. Thank you for being here, Dr. Chandler. My former university professor and mentor and later nemesis smiles like a Cheshire cat. My pleasure. Let's start with your book. Everyone's talking about it. It's been read, what, a million times on the net? At least. I'm not really sure. I don't pay attention to those types of things. I just want to get the word out. Well, at least a few people have taken issue with some of those words. I'm talking specifically about your claims regarding the first contact mission and the Battle of Cirrus. Your account has been disputed by NASA and officials from the three superpowers. Chandler shrugs, apparently unbothered. They have every incentive to dispute the claims. They want to be the sole source of the truth. It's the only way they can ensure that they stay in power. But as the ice melts, so does their grip on the world's population. Their focus is the solar shield project. But the reality is that we need a balanced approach to defending Earth and more of a focus on what the people need, which is to go home to the cities and houses we left for life to get back to normal. That's what people want and what the three major governments fear most. Let's get back to the book for a moment. In it, you say that you were a central part of the planning and execution of the first contact mission, as well as the Battle of Cirrus, where we defeated the grid. And now you claim you are being excluded from any further missions in planning. But the generally accepted history is that James Sinclair was the lead scientist and roboticist on the mission. How do you reconcile those two accounts? I would encourage viewers to look at the undeniable facts. No one at NASA can deny that I was the first robotist contacted about the mission. No one can deny that I was at the Kennedy Space Center when the crew was brought together and briefed. Yes, Sinclair was on the PAX and in the Spartan fleet. I remained here on Earth in a planning capacity for good reason. You don't put your greatest minds in harm's way. We knew the missions were extraordinarily dangerous. We needed to plan for the future. Chandler pauses, seeming pained about what he's about to say. I would also encourage viewers to look at the source. Perhaps the only fact that that no one can deny is that James Sinclair is a convicted felon. Before the long winter, the United States government deemed him a risk to public safety. They imprisoned him, and that's precisely where he's where he was when the first contact mission was being planned in prison. He was offered a conditional pardon in return for his service aboard the spaceships. Chandler nods diplomatically. 
With that said, I'm willing to give a credit where credit is due. Sinclair did some good work during the two space missions, but do we really want a convicted felon like Sinclair leading our efforts to defend Earth? We need a different kind of person in charge, one who has shown a history of acting in the public's interest, not their own. This has been going on for months now, Chandler bashing me, spewing half-truths and self-aggravation. It's true he was at the initial meeting at NASA before the first contact mission launched, but his plans for the robotics part of the mission would have severely limited our chances of success. I challenged him on it, and when Chandler became combative, Dr. Lawrence Fowler, the director of NASA, removed him from the mission. Looking back, pulling Chandler from the crew probably saved the mission, might have saved the world. I can't look anymore. I shouldn't have opened the video in the first place, but I know deep down that if public sentiment turns against the government, we won't just be fighting the grid, we'll be fighting amongst ourselves. We can't afford that. So that was from this, the, um, the Solar War, The Long Winter Number 2 by A.G. Riddle. I gave it four stars. And um, I gave it four stars just for the creativity alone, honestly. Um, I'm not a big science fiction fan. I don't read a lot of science fiction. So I don't really have a lot um, point of reference but uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I am going to, I do plan on reading the third book in the trilogy just to see how it all wraps up. The end of the book leaves them in a pretty interesting predicament. And so I'm kind of curious to see how they survive the remaining trilogy. Um, as usual, I find it very interesting to read some less than stellar reviews on Goodreads. So let's go through some of these and I'll respond. Um, <laughs> this one, I kind of agree with, honestly, um, gave it, this reader gave it two stars. I couldn't deal with a stupid genius anymore, nor his wife. It's a shame because I love the premise, but the two main characters were too much to handle. Thank goodness it was Kindle limited. I kind of agree with that. There's, there's another one here. Um, I, Emma gets his wife gets a lot of criticism in this in this story and I can see why she was a very strong um, central character in the first book and I really liked that about that book um, but this book not so much and I, I did find it irritating that uh, she was um, less strong I mean she was strong but in different ways just less strong to the story I guess I should clarify Let's see. Um, let's see. Yes, totally agree with the other one. This reviewer gave it two stars out of five. Totally agree with the other reviewers. The Long Winter was good overall, despite a few plot holes, but A.G. Riddle flounders badly in this sequel. There's so much to not like in this book. Emma's particularly disappointing. The strong female commander spends most of her time laying in, laying in a bunk, feeling weak and worrying about her kids. And the scenes with the kids are just so boring. How many times do we need to be told that the children played on their iPads? <laughs> and he does that a lot, I have to say. The science is disappointing too. Riddle's take on human stasis is to zip people into plastic bags and a virus magically suspends life. It's all quite laughably bad. Bad. Now again, I'm not a big science fiction um, expert, I guess. So I can't say yay or nay on the science behind this book. To me, it sounded 
plausible. But again, I, I know nothing about science. So maybe there is a lot of science holes in uh, what Riddle writes, but I thought to me, it seemed believable. But take that with a grain of salt, because I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, let's see. Let me see if there's another one. Uh, this one, another two stars out of five. For me, it was a bit dull, if well written. Uh, the main protagonist isn't exactly a genius either, and it's a bit unlikable. There is zero humor, excitement, or for that matter, war. Just long, dull monologues and secrets I didn't care about. Just tell us for crying out loud. With not massive outcomes that certainly didn't build suspense or require the drawn-out effort of reading. Got a problem? Well, we got a drone for that. Ridiculous and lazy problem-solving throughout. The author is more suited to long, meandering monologues instead of getting on with things. Oh, and one more thing. No one likes a smartass. Last book in series for me. I can't waste more time in it. And um, I kind of agree that he's right, that there were a lot of monologues. Um, but I kind of disagree on the on the action. I felt like, um, if anything, there was almost too much action. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that's why Riddle had Emma um, always kind of in the background of the action. And she's back on home, like in the home base, basically, uh, kind of watching over the kids Um I can't tell you exactly why Emma's in this predicament. I don't want to give it away. Uh, but there's a reason why she's in the background and not really in the thick of the action. Uh, she has a very good reason for it. But uh, I think Riddle may have, he could have done a better job of, of maybe perhaps um, exploring Emma's character and the fact that she discovers something more that can be done um, in her capacity in the background, if that makes sense, instead of her just kind of like this reader said, just kind of she kind of just wanders around wringing her hands and, and, and she's worried about the kids, uh, about the morale of the people, which I'm not saying is not important uh, when it comes to a catastrophe, because uh, you don't want people to kind of go off the deep end and do something rash and put the rest of the people in danger. Uh, but yeah, it was a little boring. And there were a lot of monologues, I feel like but but I do disagree. I think there was quite a bit of action in it. And um I kind of appreciate that, obviously. Let's see if there's any more. This book just felt like constant anxiety and more and more ridiculous scenarios. That's another reviewer that gave it two out of five stars. And again, I kind of have to agree with that. I did feel anxious reading this book. It was a constant nonstop situation they were finding, them, finding themselves in. And it each situation was more and more impossible. Now, I will say that I think one of the reasons why I gave it four stars is because I did appreciate Riddle's creativity in putting his character in a situation where his character had to kind of really think outside the box to find a solution and get himself out of this situation. Um, that I find myself personally as a writer very challenging because I'm more of a linear thinker, I think, instead of an outside the box kind of thinker. Like Kevin would be perfect for that. My husband, he is a great problem solver and he can, he's really good at thinking outside the box and coming up with unique solutions. Whereas if it's not staring me in the face, I tend to hit a wall. So I appreciate Riddle's creativity and coming out of some of these impossible scenarios. Now, whether it's quote unquote realistic, again, 
I have a lot of creative, I give a, a lot of creative license to authors that, that do this because, I mean, it's fiction after all, and it's science fiction. So basically, anything can happen. But I did chuckle at the one reviewer that said there's a drone for everything, because it, it kind of, <laughs> Riddle kind of does that. He kind of, he's kind of like, well, you know, we can just build a drone for that, and that'll be our problem solver. So it, I, I can definitely see why that would be a turnoff for some people, especially maybe high, ha, hardcore science fiction people. Um, let's see. Everything else is pretty much the same thought. Um, I do agree with this one. Two out of five stars. Started off with a lot of promise and better writing than its predecessor, but languished unnecessarily in the middle say for the alien robot all of the characters are very flat and boring particularly the main character james who never met a problem he couldn't solve instantly save for for a murder mystery subplot which he solves eventually on the subject of mystery there were too many unnecessarily mysterious subplots things that were unknown just to keep the reader going and weren't organic to the story itself I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't read the third in this trilogy when it comes out, but I'd also be lying if I said I was looking forward to it. Ooh, harsh. Um, but again, I agree. I, I agree with that. Um, I do feel like the characters were flat. Uh, the style of the story was almost textbook and that it was like, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Though Riddle does a good job of interjecting uh, emotions and uh, you know, putting you in the situation so you can kind of picture it in your head. So it wasn't completely robotic, but it um, it was just a little, it's just kind of stale in some ways. And I think maybe Riddle was doing this because he had so much content that he wanted to pack into the second trilogy that he didn't want to spend a lot of time really breaking down the moment because it would have made the book too long. It's kind of, it's my theory anyway, when I read this. So Anyway, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on this. I, I did give it four stars, but if you're a hardcore science fiction person, I don't know how you're going to feel about this story. Now for me, someone who doesn't read a lot of science fiction, I thought it was good. But my point of reference is very small. So if you're a hardcore science fiction reader, I don't know, you may find a lot of flaws in this and it may bore you. But I thought the premise was really interesting you know the fact that aliens come take over earth especially right now with the whole is aliens real conversation happening in um our society so and that really the, the the whole reason why the aliens are taking over the earth is because they're trying to um harvest all the energy from our sun and that's and of course them doing that is killing the earth because we can't survive without our sun so anyway, so that's just, you know, something to think about food for thought. And we are running over on time. I got uh, I had a lot to talk about this week, there was a lot of interesting things in the news that I thought I might bring up to you. And as always, I always I, I do these podcasts with the intention of introducing you to alternate news sources, as opposed to your traditional CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all that kind of stuff. And you know, just to broaden your horizons, I think it's important to um, not only pay attention 
Um, but pay attention to opposing views as well. Because again, as I said, at the beginning of this podcast, it's important to get all of the information and form your own opinion. Because just because this is the way I think doesn't mean this is the way you should think. And, um, or, or it's even the right way to think, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> since I'm a right winger. But anyway, um, you know, it's just it, it exists to be thought provoking. And I also think it's important to document these various stories throughout our lifetimes, because, you know, uh, as a historian factor, I guess, for our kids to list back, listen back to at some point in time, uh, because things change so quickly, and we forget, you know, we just forget what happened and the importance of it. And um, I think then things like climate change are born where it's like, well, you're killing the planet. Well, we could do better on some of the things that we that we do. Sure. Uh, but if you think that the weather is getting worse, it's really not. It's cyclical. This is how weather patterns are every 30 years or 15 years or however many long years it is, you have, you know, an uptick in hurricanes or unseasonably cold or hot weather or anything like that. But my point is that this stuff comes back around and we tend to forget that it's happened in the past. And uh, it's important to remember this stuff, I feel like, so that we are better prepared to handle what the future throws at us, I guess. Anyway, um, better wrap this up. I don't want to take too much of your time. It is Memorial Day weekend, three day weekend. Woo woo! I do have some days off coming up in June that I'm excited to take. And hopefully I can get a little writing done, have more energy to do writing. Good gosh. In some ways, I really I don't want to lose this job. I really don't. I really like my job. I feel like I'm very good at my job. I really like the people that I work with. But gosh, it just drains every last bit out of me where I come home and I'm just a shell of a person. I have zero mental energy left to do anything other than just watch YouTube videos and flop into bed. (laughs) Uh, And I would just, it would be nice to have a job where it didn't take so much out of me so that I had some leftover to do what I really want to do, which is right. So I don't know, maybe in some ways, it'll be a little bit of a blessing in disguise if I lose this job, and I can go on and do something else, giving me more time to do things that I really want to do. I don't know, we'll see. Um, I will definitely keep you updated. I want to document this process in case you know, this really does happen. And uh, I am definitely taking steps to prepare myself for for that possibility, i.e., resume, that kind of thing. So anyway, I hope you're enjoying uh, the the Memorial Day weekend. Remember the reason for why we have the long weekend. Um, Don't forget to remember all of the men and women that have fought for us to give us the the liberties and the freedoms that we enjoy today. It's very important and uh, that they're not forgotten and appreciated. So I hope that you are taking some time out of your out of your weekend to do that. And uh, to all of you vets out there, thank you very, very much for your sacrifice and your service to our country. And uh, we wouldn't be here without you. So everybody take care, be alert, not anxious. And I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.